0: The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit GeorgiaFaith.com. Thank you for listening. His real name was Fritz, but uh, Fritz didn't have the panache that they were looking for, didn't have the rhythm in the ring that the Hollywood studios wanted. Hollywood could not imagine naming the title of a movie Saving Private Fritz, but Fritz was his real name. They might have changed it to Private Ryan, but Fritz was the real man's name who was a paratrooper who had jumped behind enemy lines in Normandy during World War II. And Fritz and his story came about um, because the army had a new policy that they instituted during the middle of the war called the Sole Survivor Policy. The idea was if you were the last remaining son in your family, the Army or the Navy would pull you from active, dangerous military duty. The policy actually was born out of a tragedy. Um, You see, uh, the Sullivan brothers all volunteered for the Navy at the same time. They signed up to fight the war in the Pacific and at, at that time, at the beginning of the war, the Navy and the Army, they would let brothers serve together at the same station Good camaraderie and all that, and so all five Sullivan brothers embarked on the battle cruiser USS Juno. Well, in 1942, the Juno was involved in the Battle of Guadalcanal in the South Pacific. And early in the battle, they took a torpedo hit, and so they they turned, exited the battle zone, and were trying to limp back to port, but they couldn't make much speed. Well, an enemy submarine found them, and found them to be easy prey. The next torpedo that struck the Juno hit the ammunition magazine, and this huge ship just blew up. Within 42 seconds, there was nothing left. 687 men died, including the brothers Sullivan, George, Frank, Joe, Matt, and Al. When the Naval officer came to tell the parents, I mean, what do you say? A tragedy like that? Five boys. The naval officer comes and he says to Mr. and Mrs. Sullivan, we have bad news about your sons. Mr. Sullivan said, which? He said, all of them. The government was convinced that a tragedy like this just couldn't happen again. So they changed the policy that brothers could serve together. The amazing thing is, on that cruiser that went down, the Juno, do you know, it wasn't just the Sullivan brothers that were there. There were 30 sets of brothers who died on the USS Juno. 30 sets. Well, the Sullivans were just the biggest. So the, the armed forces says this just can't happen again. We're not going to allow brothers to serve in the same units on the same boat because we don't want to see this ever happen again. And so that's why uh, Private Fritz, his three older brothers, they served all in different units But all of them were in harm's way. And within just a few days, one month of May, each of his three older brothers were killed in combat, leaving just Fritz behind. So the army decided they needed to get Fritz out of there, release him from dangerous duty, get him back home, get him back to safety. So enter Steven Spielberg, one little name change, and you got yourself the blockbuster movie Saving Private Ryan. Uh, where an officer played by Tom Hanks leads a squad of men to go behind enemy lines, try to find this private and bring him back to safety. And the kind of the whole movie revolves around the question, uh, what are you willing to risk to save one life? What are you willing to risk to save just one? When I saw that movie, I thought of this parable that Jesus once told where he was inviting the listeners. He's like, suppose a man had 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 and go look for the one until he finds that sheep and puts it on his shoulders and brings it home rejoicing and calls his friends and neighbors and said, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus, in that parable, he reminds us he's not just talking about sheep and shepherds. He says, there's going to be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need to. So Jesus was in the middle of preaching his way around the nation of Israel, and crowds of people were flocking to hear him as he announced that the new kingdom was drawing near, a kingdom of repentance, of forgiveness, a kingdom of peace with God. And Jesus, what he said... He said, you know what, your past doesn't matter. No matter how broken your present currently is, is irrelevant. This message, this kingdom is open to everyone who repents and has faith in Jesus. And i got to say, there were some people around Jesus. uh, even, Even people with really bad pasts were clamoring to be around Jesus. Maybe on some days it seemed like, especially the people with bad pasts, were the ones to be clamoring around Jesus. And what they found was something they didn't expect. That when this man talked about forgiveness and peace with God, he actually meant it. He, in fact, treated them like they didn't have a past at all. He hung out with them. He, he ate with them. Now, this is really an important cultural point that probably slides over us in Western, Western uh, later Christianity today. But eating with a meal with someone in this culture, this was a culture that's called a, an honor-shame culture. And fellowship, table fellowship, mealtime, was a very important time at which boundaries were drawn. Identities were underscored about who is honored, who is shamed, who is loved, and who is not. Now here Jesus was, taking these people, welcoming it says, the sinners who repented, he ate with them, he banqueted with them, he sat down with them, and in this culture, the people he did that for, they loved it, because he treated them like they really were forgiven. But not everybody loved it, this table fellowship he had with these sinners. Honestly what it was it was the pious religious folk who didn't like it. I mean they were honestly scandalized. Scandalized that a rabbi a, a teacher would be welcoming these sinners, that he'd be eating with them, eating with them. In an honor shame society for these pious religious folks, it looked like Jesus was taking his shame and it was or their shame and it was rubbing off on him. You don't sit down and eat people with eat with people that look like that. You don't sit down and fellowship with people that are that broken. This is the context, right, of Luke chapter 15. These people looking at Jesus, these newfound believers, and then being scandalized and saying, who is this guy that he'd eat with sinners? That's the context in which Jesus tells this story. And it's interesting. Jesus isn't, He's not condemning the people asking the questions. Instead, what he does is he's inviting them to ask some really important questions about themselves and to ask some really important questions about their God. And this morning, Jesus is really inviting you and I to do the same thing, to ask important questions about ourselves and important questions about our God, like, uh, what is our God like? What, what kind of attitudes and actions should we expect from this God, especially when, I mean, we know he's a holy God. We know he hates sin, so what should I expect from him when you know, in my life there's all sorts of things in my past that I'd just rather not bring up? Maybe there's things in your present that you would prefer not to put on display. Maybe there's more broken parts in your current life than there are working ones. What is God like with people like us? I mean, maybe you're someone today here who is back in church for the first time in a long time. Maybe the big question you have as you look around is you wonder if all these people are actually like what they're showing themselves to be, or if they're all just a bunch of hypocrites. Or maybe you are uh, someone here who thinks church is largely for people who can get their life together and probably really isn't meant for people who've got more broken parts than working ones. Or maybe you're somebody who goes to church regularly, but honestly, recently you've, uh, you've, you've wandered. Wandered away from what you know is right and what you know is true. How does God feel about somebody like you? Or maybe you've never really been outside of church. And honestly, maybe you haven't really walked down too many dangerous paths. And you're wondering, what does God think about you? Well, today Jesus invites us into God's heart and mind with this story. Now, now let's keep in mind this story. Uh, Private Fritz, the whole point was, what are you willing to risk to save one when there's only one left, right? There's only one son left. What are you willing to risk? Jesus' story is really far less radical than that. He doesn't say there's only one left. He said just one is missing out of a hundred. I mean, if you had a hundred sheep and one were lost, what would you do? The way he tells this story and the people's reaction to it implies that Jesus expects everyone to say, well, of course, you'd leave the 99 with the hired hands and you'd go look for that one lost sheep. And everybody in the crowd then would have been nodding their heads because... They knew about sheep. I don't don't know much about sheep, but I'm told, sheep are not like dogs. Like, you, you remember hearing these stories where like a dog gets lost in upstate New York and he crosses, you know, the country and finds his home again. Sheep don't do that. I'm told sheep, when they get lost, they just give up and lie down and then they're preyed upon. So if a sheep is lost, everybody in that audience knew, well, you gotta go get it. It's not gonna come back. It's not gonna find its way home. The only choice you got is to go out and get the sheep. And the reason you do it, like, One of our young people said here today, it's because you care about it. It has value to you. It's it's worth the effort, the energy, maybe even the bit of danger to go find that sheep. Jesus' point here is, of course you're going to go look for that lost sheep, right? But now here's the deal. Jesus here, he's not really talking about sheep and shepherds, right? He's he's not offering us a tutorial in case we want to get into ranching. That's not the point. He's not talking about sheep and shepherds. He's talking about God. And he wants to use this story to invite us into the heart and into the mind of God so that we can understand both his actions and his attitudes. And and what Jesus is saying, um, he's saying whether you find yourself lost or you find yourself wandering, or you find yourself just pandering to your own pride, here's something you can learn about God. He is a seeking God, not content to leave anyone lost. Right? Jesus is using like a lesser to a greater argument here. He said, you know what, if you had 99 sheep, you'd care about it enough to go look for one, right? Right? Everybody goes, sure. He goes, well, then think about God. If you're worried about me hanging out with these people who were sinful, If you're willing to go look for one sheep, don't you think God would be concerned about one of his lost children? His children? Of course God is going to go out and seek it. What do you think God's going to do? He's not going to be content that one of his children would be lost. That's what Jesus was there for. Jesus had come into this world because we have a God who is a seeking God who is not content to leave us lost or wandering or stuck in our pride. Instead, Jesus came into our world, became one of us. He descended into our darkness instead of leaving us in our brokenness so that he could lift us up out of it. He came here to carry a burden we couldn't bear. He came here to pay a price we couldn't pay. And what that man did, was he gathered up all of the failings of my past, all of the brokenness of our present, all of the things that make our conscience burn, he gathered them all up and he took them to the cross. But when he did, when he did, he paid for them all in full, every bit, every bit. So that he, he can call now to his sheep, to the lost, to the wanderers, to the looking down their nose at other sheep kind of sheep. And he says, the new kingdom's drawn near. A new kingdom. Repent and believe the good news. You don't want to know what God is like? (laughs) He's a seeking God. Or Micah, the prophet in the first reading, he said, who is a God like you that treads our sin underfoot and casts our iniquities into the heart of the sea? Jesus tells us a story to tell us two really important things about our God. The first is that he's a seeking God, and the second, that he's a rejoicing God. He doesn't just go out and look for us when we're lost. We have a God who does not hold us to our past, but rejoices in our future that we find in forgiveness. You know, in the, in the story, it's a beautiful picture, the shepherd finding the sheep, putting him on his shoulders, and enjoy taking him home. And then he throws a party, right? He calls his friends and relatives and says, come, have a party with me, rejoice, I've found this lost sheep. There are times when Jesus' parables move to the absurd. And this is a little absurd. I mean, if you found a sheep, would you really throw a party? I mean, really? If you think about it, the party costs would probably be more in value than the sheep that you just found, right? This, is, this doesn't make a lot of sense, except for one thing. We're not talking about sheep. And we're not talking about shepherds. We're getting a look into the heart and mind of our God. And what you find there is joy joy that says, these are mine. Right? And Jesus, when he, was, when he was rejoicing with these newfound believers, when he was sitting down to dinner with them, it wasn't that he wasn't mindful of the cultural issues of table fellowship in an honor-shame society. That's exactly why he was doing it. He was inscribing a boundary that included these believers. He was underscoring an identity for them that said, they belong to me. Rejoice with me because these my sheep were lost and now they're found So Whatever issues you think might be separating you from your God Understand that God will not stop seeking you. He won't Whatever worries you might have about God's attitude toward you God said he will not stop until he rejoices to find you in his flock and in his fold. You know, we all know the joy that comes from finding something when it's lost. You know, if you lose your keys or your wallet or your phone, you find it, you're happy. There's a certain amount of joy that comes from finding something that was lost. But you know, this story, this story isn't about the joy in finding something that was lost. It's about finding someone who had been lost. That kind of joy is different. I won't tell you how Saving Private Ryan ends. You can watch it if you want to. But I will say that the true story behind it has got kind of an interesting ending. Um, They found Fritz pretty quickly, shipped him back home, and his parents got uh, got to at least have one of their four sons. There was a great joy in that. But uh, you know, 12 months later, 12 months later, they found out that their oldest brother, he'd been shot down in the Pacific. He had actually survived the crash, was captured, was in a prisoner of war camp for 12 months, and it had just gotten liberated. And the news came back that Fritz's older brother, who had been, they thought, lost at sea, was alive and on the way home. Can you imagine joy like that? when someone, someone who was lost is suddenly found again. I wonder how long it took for the letter to come home. I mean, this is a woman who'd gotten other telegrams, telegrams, three of them, that said, the War Department is sad to inform you. But this time, someone wasn't lost. They were found. Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine what it was like when that mother got to hold in her arms a son that was lost and now is found again? That's the joy that God has when he looks at you here today, near his flock and near his fold. He said, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. God grant it. Amen.